0: Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called, Hey, Who's in Charge Anyway? And we'll be looking at a biblical model for leadership. Let's think about the pattern of God's leadership and how can we follow His example as we lead others? This is the seventh in our series on leadership in the Bible. I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can join to think about you, think about how you lead us, how we're supposed to lead others. It's an important part of our life. It becomes very important in the second part of our life. And you'll be our leader forever, so I guess it'll always be important. But thank you, Lord. Lead us forward today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to those of you who are here, those of you who are on the live stream, and those who are listening by podcast maybe someday. But our title, Hey, Who's in Charge Anyway?, We're thinking about God's leadership, and we've looked at the picture of God's leadership, which is the shepherd metaphor, that that's the clearest and most complete picture of what a leader does, Uh, what God is looking for when he looks at you as a parent, as a leader at work, as someone making disciples, as an elder, as a deacon. As a small group Bible study leader, what kind of things is God looking for uh, when he looks at a leader? And it's that shepherd, that picture of a shepherd. We looked at the pattern that that shepherd metaphor teaches us that basically crystallizes in three areas. Lead, develop, and care. That there are 50, maybe even 100 verbs you could call out of the scriptures that talk about what does it mean what it, what is included in being a good shepherd but they seem to cluster in those three groups of lead develop and care and then we're looking at the products of that the outcome of that in terms of how does god lead develop and care for us in our lives and how are we supposed to lead develop and care for others and we've already double-clicked on lead and develop in the last two weeks in terms of our leadership. And now we're to the one on care. Now, if you remember, when we talked about God's leadership, it was the first thing we talked about. Because the very first thing that God does in his leadership of us is he saves us. And that's a care function. He, he resurrects us from the dead. Uh, but now when we're talking about people leadership, we put it third because the main thing a leader is, of people is supposed to do is they're supposed to lead. Uh, we put develop second because it's the one that's most easily left out. We put care third not because it's less important, but it's, we're not giving it quite the emphasis of lead and develop. Uh, But it could be that there are times when care is what's most needed. So that's what you will emphasize, and that's what you will start with. Care is, of course, one of God's specialties. It's sort of his brand, you know. That's what he's famous for. And he wants us to imitate him in this. The fact is, every one of you are agents of God's care in the world. And what a privilege it is to let God use us in watching over and caring for those that God puts in our lives. We looked at a definition for care, and I think that's on your handout. It says, intentionally watching over and responding to people's needs and well-being. There come kind of two parts there, aren't there? There's the watching over, that's the awareness, it's having a sense of what's going on, what are the needs, and then responding to people's needs and well-being. Now, what if you don't uh, watch over, what's the problem? Well, you don't know enough to know how to respond. It would be like going to the doctor and he says, wait, wait, don't tell me, let me guess. I think you have, I don't know, pneumonia. I'm going to give you medicine for pneumonia. He says, well, wait, 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 you haven't even done any tests. He says, no, I'm, I'm just going to kind of go with my gut here. Uh, you want him to fully investigate what's the nature of the need before he starts or she starts giving you uh, some treatment for it. So that's a problem if you don't watch over. What if, you, what if you do watch over and you're aware of the needs, but then you don't do anything? Well, you really lose points there, don't you? Because now they know you can't plead ignorance. They know you know, and yet you still didn't do anything. A couple of verses on watching over. The Genesis 4-9, God comes to Cain and says, Where is Abel your brother? I guess you remember where Abel actually was at that point. He'd been killed and he'd been buried (laughs) by Cain. But Cain, instead of saying, oh, my bad, I, you know, and kind of coming clean, he asked this question, am I my brother's keeper? And that, I would say, is is a question for every human on the face of the earth. Am I my brother's keeper? And the implication from Genesis 4 is Yes, that's that second command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's a a responsibility to more than just watching out for yourself. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my spouse's keeper? Am I my child's keeper? Am I my neighbor's keeper? Am I my aging parent's keeper? And God would say, yes, you have a responsibility to those that God has put in your life. Another verse on watching over is that verse in Proverbs twenty-seven, twenty-three that says, Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. We're responsible to be aware of what's going on in the lives of the people that God has put in our charge. And it's sort of that picture of, uh, again, the shepherding picture, isn't it? You have a flock. Uh, it might just be you're an older brother and you have a younger sister or a younger brother. Well, that you're your brother or your sister's keeper. They're part of your flock and you're to care for them. And then a couple of verses on responding, not just watching over, but responding John 21, when Jesus talks to Peter after he's rest- helping restore him from having denied Jesus, and remember three times he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responded, well, you know, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> and, and Jesus three times says something equivalent of feed my sheep tend my lambs. In other words, he's saying, if Peter, you can show me, you didn't show me that you love me back when I was being beaten and you denied me, but I'm giving you another chance. But the way I want you to say it is I want you to say it by caring for my sheep. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? You're sort of an under-shepherd. You're not fully a shepherd, like they're your sheep, so if you want a barbecue, we can have a barbecue. It's like, you know, you're caring for those sheep, for those children, those grandchildren, your neighbor, people at work, whoever looks to you for leadership. You're caring for them in a responsibility under the great shepherd, and you'll have to give an account for him. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. And then the other verse In terms of responding to people's needs, found in 1 Peter 5, 2, and 3. As shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. To the flock. So, the, the verse uh, before in John 21, that was more the what, feed my sheep, that's how you respond. But the second verse talks more about how do you respond, with what attitude, with what posture. This is exercising oversight, not because you have to, but because you get to. Not for shameful gain, just for what you can squeeze out of the flock, but doing it eagerly, doing it generously. And not being the big cheese in charge, domineering, but doing it, setting a humble example for the flock. Not asking of others to do, of others, for things that you're not willing to do yourself. So a couple of thoughts here, and if you want to just, these aren't in your notes, but you could, there's a big white space on the right side of your page if you want to jot something down. But the first thing, a couple of comments I want to make. One is, is that care is a part of leading. I think we kind of think that, well, there's leading, and then uh, uh, maybe you're not a leader type, so maybe then you're more of a care person. And this shepherd metaphor teaches us that care is just as much a part of leading as developing is and as leading is. And that's important because there are some people that they would have to say of lead developed care that they're more of a care-oriented person, that that's just flows naturally, they're aware of people's needs, they're compassionate, they're responsive, and so they might be thinking, well, I'm really not a leader, I'm more of a carer. And God would want to tell you, no, that's part of your leadership, is the way you watch over and respond to the needs of people. The second comment I'd like to make is, care always has to be balanced with develop. There's a book out called When Helping Hurts. When, by the way, you minister to people, you help people, your children, whoever, you actually, even though well-intentioned, you end up hurting them. Howard Hendricks used to say in his uh, talks on parenting, he says, Every time you do for your child what they can do for themselves, you cripple them. That's when helping hurts, when it, when it undercuts the own per, that person's ability to lead, develop, and care in their own life. There's some times when, because of understanding what's in the ultimate best interest of a person, you will hold back, and you must hold back, on doing for them things that they would like you to do, but you, you shouldn't do because it will take them in a bad direction. We have to beware, particularly if we're strongly a care person, to not be, in a wrong way, a rescuer, an enabler, someone that, when it's all said and done, even though you've given and served and loved, the person is weaker and worse off because of the way you cared for them. Third, awareness is key. We already looked at that. Know well the condition of your flocks. I wonder who you would write down is part of your flock today. Think of your little sheep. And it might just be a a neighbor. It might even be an aging parent. It could be any number of people, a spouse. But are you consciously thinking, I wonder how my flock is doing? What's going on? That's one of the things that can really surprise us, isn't it, with people we know very well finding out all the things we didn't really know. We thought we knew. We thought, oh, I think they're fine. And then we find out, oh, no, they weren't fine at all. And that's the kind of thing to, to you know, you don't realize what you don't know. And being more, giving more attention to those that God has put in your life in terms of how are they really doing fourth comment is this of lead, develop, and care. This one on care may be the most generous and sacrificial. Lead, it's like, well, okay, you're sort of telling people what to do, you know, motivating them. Develop, it may be more of a kind of a teaching thing. That doesn't necessarily cost that much. But care, a lot of times, comes at a high price. It might be caring for someone when they're sick, Helping someone out with financial difficulties. And a lot of times financial difficulties are coupled with character issues. So it's not just a, a money thing. There's more, it's more there's more to it. It's complicated. And you think of how much it cost God, how much it cost Christ to care for you and me. It cost him more than his leadership of us as the Lord. It cost him more than being our teacher and developer. Caring for us cost him everything. And some of the situations where God will call you to care for people will be very, very costly. I'm reminded of Robertson McQuilkin, and you know his story, how his wife got early onset Alzheimer's, and uh, it got so bad he realized he either would need to institutionalize her or resigned from his position. I'm not sure exactly how old he was, but he he probably resigned five to 10 years earlier than he would have just in order to take care of his wife as she lost her mind, really. But I, I remember I was sitting in chapel in 1989 when he gave his announcement that he was resigning. And he said, my wife has spent 20 something years taking care of me 25 years, and even if I need to spend the next 25 years taking care of her, I can't possibly repay her for all that she's done for me. He said, I don't have to care for my wife. I get to care for my wife. Care is a privilege. It's a costly, wonderful privilege, and caring well It will be one of the things that makes you happiest in heaven when you think back of the times God enabled you to lay down your life for the benefit of another. And that brings me to the last comment on, side comment on care. Care is more than giving stuff and things and doing tasks. It's the giving of yourself. I'd like to just open up and read this, passage in Second Corinthians 8, where Paul is, they're concerned for the churches that are under heavy, heavy persecution, and they're t- kind of taking up an offering for them. And so he's, he's saying just a couple things, and he's pointing out, he's trying to motivate this church by telling them what another church has done, so, so that they'll sort of think, well, wow, how can we do less if they were willing to do that? But in 2 Corinthians 8, 3 through 5, he says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor participation in the support of the saints, and this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So he's saying that there, there were these churches in Asia Minor that heard about how hurting the churches were in Palestine. And it said they begged us for the opportunity to help out, even though they weren't doing all that well themselves, but they wanted to serve. It reminds me of when I read about Richard Wormbrandt and Tortured for Christ. And he said, even though they only got this little tiny little piece of bread each day and some dirty soup made with rotten carrots, uh, that they still felt like they should tithe. <laughs> and that was their only income. <laughs> and so they would take a tenth of their bread every day and set it aside. And they'd give it to the prisoner that was the sickest. The privilege of laying down our lives, of the privilege of giving not just our stuff, but giving ourselves for the Lord's service in the lives of others. Well, there. when we talk about care, I'd like to move now to what we call the four critical aspects or operational aspects. This is double-clicking on care where you think, okay, care, when you just say the word care, people tend to think about that in emotional terms, and some of us are more mushy and sentimental than others. You know, some of us cry in movies and, you know, but there are others that are maybe more stoic or cool or maybe you even at times think, well, maybe I'm cold. Uh, What is care for a person like that? And so we want to look at four operational aspects because we're not looking primarily at the feelings of care but the actions of care. What are the actions that make a person feel cared for regardless of how emotional you get about it or how deep the feelings are. So four operational aspects, know, connect, provide, and protect. This is how you bring care. I'm sure there are more things than this, but these are four really helpful touch points. The know and connect, of course, have to do with more more of that first part of the definition, watching over. How do you watch over? Will you know and connect? And then the second two, have more to do with responding to people's needs uh, via providing and protecting. So, no, awareness. Like I said, it's to know well the condition of your flocks. I will always remember a person I met who said, you know, he was sitting in the kitchen one day, and he was probably in his 40s, and he said his wife came in, and she says, I'm leaving. And he said, oh, where are you going? She said, no, I'm leaving. And she walked out and divorced him. And he said, I had no idea. Lack of awareness. There are others who find out years later that their child was so troubled and was even considering suicide. I think of my problem of knowing when my son Walt fell on on the skateboard, And his finger was hurting, and I did not take the time to really make sure I knew the situation. I just yanked on it a bit. Turned out it was broken. Turned out it healed wrong, and turns out 20 years later it's still crooked. So someone said one time, don't be discouraged. You can always be used as a bad example. But that was a very bad example of not caring for my child by knowing well Uh, the condition of the flock. We worked in staff care, and one of the things with staff care is if you don't know what the needs are, you can't really address it. You don't know what to do about it. And one of the things they taught us was watch for bubbles. When you look at a pond and it's all smooth, but over in the corner you see some bubbles coming up. What does that tell you? It tells you that there's something alive under the surface. There's something down there. And so someone will just make an offhand comment. I was uh, really discouraged the other day. Or I've been wondering if. But it's a bubble that comes up. It's just a small thing. But if you're growing in this no part, you'll learn how to give them an opportunity to say a bit more. You mentioned that you've been struggling with sleeping or depression. What's the, what do you think that's coming from, or would you like to say a little bit more about that? Watch for bubbles. Second, not just know. Some, many people are good at knowing, but they're sort of at a distance. They have a lot of information. But there's also the need to connect with a person. That's, that's a more personal sort of a thing. It's not so distant. And that has to do with understanding. This is one of the most difficult things these days because we're more connected than ever and more disconnected than ever. We're more distracted. We're more oriented toward busyness, movement, entertainment, and all of those things take away from our ability to actually be present with the people God's put in our lives. All of this media has also made us more passive, we're more spectators. At work it can be challenging because there's such a pressure and a push for numbers and goals. And often what you, you feel is missing is that know and connect part, but particularly the connect part between a, a boss and their employees. It's all through emails and written reports and things like that. But. The connect part talks to us about the importance of a leader being present with the people that they lead, to be with them. I I was struck by Larry Crabb, who who was giving a workshop, and one of the things he said that he tells people—and he was like the number one Christian counselor maybe in the U.S. over a 50-year period, so a pretty significant person in counseling—and yet he said, he's gotten to the point where he says to people uh, that come to him for help, he says, I don't have any idea how to help you. My, my goal is not to help you. I, I have no idea how to help you. My goal is just to be with you. Can you feel that power of connection? It's not just, I'm just not, not here just to be busy and tell you some things that will help you. He says, I, I want to be with you. that idea of connecting. There's a book by Josh McDowell, The Disconnected Generation, how in the in the teen years, there's a natural tendency as, as young people try to figure out who they are to take a step back from their parents to try to figure out who am I apart from my parents? And so there's a tendency to disconnect and the whole book, The Disconnected Generation, is written about how do you What's the best you can do as parents to keep connected, keep connected with your teens even when they're instinctively trying to disconnect so that they can connect more to the broader world? No, connect, and then provide. Provide has to do with resourcing, bringing in time, uh, resources, other people, what, what's, what is needed, networking that's going to help the person. And one of the questions you can ask on this one is, because when you think about your flock, each person is in a somewhat different role and relationship with you. So it might be, it might be your child, but it depends on what age your child's at. Whether they, When they're six, when they're 16, when they're 26, when they're 36, it's different depending on what time and period of their life. It's different if it's someone that is your direct report at work if it's your spouse. So the question you want to ask with provide is, what are the things that I am uniquely authorized and empowered to provide in this person's life? For example, if it's someone that reports to you at work, you're the one that defines their job. There isn't somebody else that does that. So if you fail to do it, uh, you've really particularly hurt them, limited them, let them down, because there isn't some other place they can go for that. As a parent, there's certain things that you're particularly empowered and authorized to provide for your children. As a spouse, there's certain things that you're the only one, the only legitimate one, where they can have those needs met. And so you you particularly have to make sure you're aware of and responding there. And then fourth, protect. A leader who's caring also is thinking about safety. One of the ways you protect those closest to you is you stay away from things that damage you and could damage them. For men in these days, online pornography, for for women it can be overspending, it can be, you know, everybody's got kind of their different things that they realize this, if taken to the extreme or just by the nature of it being bad, uh, it, it's, it doesn't do me any good, but it also exposes my family, my loved ones, to danger, being more aware of danger. Now, the interesting thing on this one, on safety, danger, etc., cetera, it's one of the things that parents, the challenge parents have in the first 20 years of their child's life is helping them to calibrate their fears. Everyone has noticed that a, a, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, or five-year-old, they may, there may be some things they're terrified of that are actually not dangerous at all, like the black space under the bed. There's a, you know, I think the stats are really low of how many dragons actually lived under some child's bed. And yet, that doesn't matter. They're terrified. So they, they're afraid of things that are not dangerous, that they don't need to be afraid of, and then they're not afraid of other things that are quite dangerous. And so a a lot of the challenge in parenting in the first 20 years is helping them to know what are the things that are really dangerous and deadly and have to be guarded against, and what are the things that either aren't dangerous or not that dangerous. You don't want to run away from a cockroach and get run over by a bus. It's like, the cockroach is not that dangerous. The bus is very dangerous. The calibration of fears. So, as a developmental leader, you're not just trying to be protective. Sometimes the best way you can be, bring protection in the life of those you lead is teach them to watch over their own life help them calibrate their fears. So they're not just obeying you, they're thinking for themselves and realizing, this is not a good idea. I need to turn away from that. And you realize in the Scripture, a lot of that, that's what God is doing, is he's saying, this is bad, evil, it'll, br- it'll bring bad results. So you make a good decision, not just because I've commanded it, but because you realize it's the path of life. This is what's best, and this other path is the way of death. You know, we've put our children at great risk in our country by allowing most universities, t- universities to been taken over by people that hate faith and hate God. And then we send all these young people to institutions where some of the professors, that's their goal, is to tear down the faith of those young people. And that's a protect issue. That's, that's something that maybe even God will give us the grace to at least balance it out. We're not saying that all universities have to be Christian. That's not realistic. But at least uh, allow for the possibility of those that want to follow Christ, that there would be teachers and professors and administrators that love God. And if others don't want to, that's fine. Keep it, keep it balanced. But allow young people to explore all their options, and, and pursue faith if they'd like. Know, connect, provide, and protect. This is the four critical aspects, operational aspects, of when you want to bring care as a leader. Well, let's bring it home a bit. Let's think about first in your own life. You know, in a sense, because God's made it that way, you are your own leader. Now, you're under his leadership, and you'll give an account to him, But God doesn't brush your teeth. He he doesn't uh, stand there and say, make your bed. He lets you make decisions. In other words, he's put you in your own life to lead your life. And part of your self-leadership is care in your own life, to know yourself, to connect with yourself. I'll explain that in a minute. To provide for yourself and to protect yourself. And that's not being selfish. If you don't adequately care for yourself, you won't be in good enough shape to be of any use to anybody else. So there's a minimal amount that you have to do to take care of the life that God's given you. The first one, to know. I mean, obviously, you know yourself better than anybody else does, but there are things about you you actually don't know. They're called blind spots, and that's why the people close to you can help you try to get to know that part of you that's not so obvious to you. Pride can also keep you from being more self-aware of yourself. You can be closed to input, but to know yourself. To ask people that are close to you, what is it that you know about me that you think I don't know about me, that I don't realize? I always remember this this video clip of this couple talking and they're a conflicted couple. And at one point, the husband leans over to the wife and he says, you don't know what it's like to live with you. That's a no issue. And if she understood more about herself, she probably could have been a better wife. Connect. The second part, are you really connected with yourself, with your own emotions? Some of us... Don't connect with ourselves. Men in particular are sort of famous for being unaware and unconnected to our emotions. And like, well, what are you feeling right now? Apart from if we're not mad, we're not sure. You know what? Well, I, I, we know when we're mad. But, uh, but to be connected with your, with your inner life, with your soul, to be able to be alone with your own thoughts and not always have to put something on. My wife is smiling at me because I always have something going on on the radio. Third, provide. You know, one of the best ways you can provide for yourself is put God first. He is the fountain of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. If you really want to provide for yourself, put God first, and then protect. Again, take refuge in the Lord to not be captive of anxiety and fears. God has appointed you as the keeper of your soul. Guard your heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4.23 says. So that's with your own self-care and then the lives of others. But evangelism is a type of care, isn't it? That's offering the gospel to, to those that need it. That's not a lead thing or a develop thing. That's a care thing. You're, you're stepping in in a, in a leadership kind of a way to bring care by sharing the gospel with people. Prayer. Your prayer for others, wouldn't that be a form of care? That's not lead, it's not develop, is it? You're calling out to the king of heaven to provide for, bless, protect, heal uh, those that you're praying for. Prayer is care. Now, care is more than prayer, but prayer is care. Discipleship. Feed my sheep, That's, that's a type of care. At work including some aspect of care with people that look to you for leadership at work. It's that care part, that know, connect, provide, protect, that brings humanity back to the workplace, and people can feel visible and valued. Now, if you look on the back of your handout, there's a little form for you if you uh, are so inclined later on to, to stop a minute to intentionally think about your flock And on the left, you'll see a column where it says, uh, where you can put names in. So you can put your spouse, your child, or your younger brother, younger sister, or your aging parent, whoever it might be, someone, a direct report at work, put their name in. And then just think, just about that person. What does, where am I right now with that person in terms of know, connect, provide, and protect? And see what that, that framework brings to your, what God uses that f- uh, for to bring to your mind about what might be a next step. God has put you in charge of the welfare of your flock. And someday God is not only going to ask you, what did you do with Jesus? He's going to also ask you, what did you do for your sheep, which were my sheep, may you have a testimony of intentionally watching over and responding to people's needs and well-being. It's our greatest cost, our greatest privilege. It will bring him great glory. It will bring you great joy. Let me close in prayer. Thank you so much, Lord, that you so beautifully model this responsibility of bringing care. You intentionally have watched over and responded to our needs and to our well-being, and at times you have seemingly backed away. You haven't made everything easy because you're also a developmental God. You don't just care. You develop, and you let us be hungry and then feed us with manna so that we could learn that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you, Lord, for your care. Help us, Lord, to take the, these seed thoughts back to our situation with our flocks and to be more aware of their needs and more appropriately responsive to help in a way that really helps. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.